Hi, my name is Olivia Neal, coach of the Flyers. Hi, this is Travis Sanheim. Hey, I'm Travis Konechny. Hi, I'm Paul Holmgren. Hi, I'm Matt Neskinen. Hey, I'm Scott Lawton. Hi, I'm Joel Fairby. Hi, this is Bob Clark. And you're listening to Snow the Goalie. 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 Ta-ha! Yes! I've been waiting so long to say that. Welcome into Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast, the People's Podcast, Players Podcast, Presidential Podcast, PD Light Podcast, Pampers Podcast, Pronger Cast, Canoeble Cast, the Bobby Clark Cast, the Paul Holmgren Cast, but definitely not, definitely not the Poster Not Cast. Not allowed. Not allowed. I'm Russ Joy at Joy on Broad, joined as always by the the man with the illustrious career, the man whose CV stands up to anyone else on the Flyers beat. And that, of course, is Anthony Sanfilippo. Find him on Twitter and Instagram at Ant San Philly. Anthony. You know, Ross, I've been thinking about it the last couple of times I heard the intro. And I'm convinced that you keep Matt Niskanen in there because you're hopeful that he'll come out of retirement this year and help this Flyers defense. I don't know who's more hopeful, me or Chuck Fletcher, because one of us, <laughs> one of us have a, has a job that kind of rides on Matt Niskanen coming back <laughs> or somebody similar. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just I remember back to that interview and, and I remember at the time people were like, I don't know, is he going to have much to say? And I, I liked a lot about what Matt Niskanen oh, it was had a great interview. He's great. great interview, but everybody else is still kind of I mean, Clark's a legend, right? But everybody else yeah. is still kind of active with the organization. Yeah in some capacity, Mm -hmm. except for Matt Niskanen in the intro. Mm -hmm. So I just figured it was you trying to be, trying to be hopeful. It could be, who knows? (laughs) I I don't know. Like I, we don't need Derek Grant in there. I don't think you got Scott Lawton to say, uh, you're listening to snow, the goalie. So drop ball on your part. We never got Danny Breer or Chris Pronger to do it. That's drop ball on on my part. Um, so Niski's going to stay in there until we get somebody else to replace him. Speaking of having to replace Matt Niskanen, let's just start really quickly with something that's positive before we get into, you know, you napalming the show with your negativity. Uh, the rumor came out that Nashville might be looking to um, to trade Ekholm. And I, it was one of the questions that I put out on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook going into tonight's episode. Um there have been a few ideas that I think have been tossed around. Uh, I was talking to one of our colleagues from Press Row, Anthony Mingione. Earlier today, he got himself, he secured the bag. He got himself a PS5. I've been trying to help him for two weeks. I've secured three, two for friends, one for myself. He got one today. We talked on the phone for a little bit. Uh, is yours in your house yet? Mine is coming tomorrow. You know, oh. FedEx, let me tell you the story of FedEx, all right? They have told me now for four straight days, tomorrow's the day. Tomorrow's the day. It's like when my when my five-year-old asks me if we could play Tony Hawk. It's like, oh yeah, buddy, tomorrow. Tomorrow we will. And now he's got me swearing, he's got me doing the pinky promise. And if I break it, I don't know what happens to me, but obviously something bad. FedEx has told me every day. It was on the delivery truck today. I got the text midday. I started celebrating. And then two hours later, I got the text, delivery not attempted, bad weather. Thanks, FedEx. Hopefully it doesn't get stolen from the warehouse. Who knows? I digress. So I'm talking to Anthony Mingione a little bit earlier today, and he brings up the possibility. He says, what are the odds that the Flyers look at a package where you send out a defenseman that has a cap hit that's somewhat close, like Shane Goss' bear? And I said, why would you do that? Like, what's the thought? And he said, well, because in that case, you're making the money work 
but you're also giving Nashville an asset that they could then expose to Seattle in the expansion draft, which I hadn't thought of. So I will credit him for that. And then he said, attach one or two picks along and see if that maybe catches Nashville's attention. So let me throw that conceptual idea out to you. Do you think that that's something that would even, I don't know, get the juices going with Nashville? Maybe I, I look at Nashville and I think that they're a team that probably to this point hasn't realized that they need to rebuild. Um, usually you're the team itself is always the last one to know, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, usually everybody from the outside sees it first and then finally they see it. So giving up on Ekholm would probably be like the start of that for them. Um, they're, they're a little older than you, than you think uh, in Nashville. Like normally people think Nashville, they think young, fast, gritty team. They're not that young, fast, and gritty. I mean, most of their guys are late 20s, early 30s. So I think that they're a team that really could use that restart. Um, but what do they have that they could move? Ekholm, you know, he signed through next season at 3.75 of a cap hit. He's only 30. <clears throat> he's one of their alternate captains, so he's a locker room leader type. They're going to want something for him. Um, and yeah, I mean, you know, you talk about picks, you talk about giving him something to help with the expansion draft. That's all well and good. But I think that they're going to want prospects for an Ekholm. One, may, I mean, you know, maybe two. Maybe you just go with one prospect. Um, and maybe they want a young defenseman. Um, and that's part of the part of the deal that you put together. So I think that there's a path for the Flyers to get in this. But I also think that they're probably going to be in competition with some teams in their division. Like I think Boston would be interested. Um, you know, you, you talked previously Just on what the, the show. Flyers need, right? Well, you talked previously on the show how, you know, they lost Chara and Krug, you know, and, and you know, they've had some injuries on the blue line. They could really use somebody like Ekholm um, to, to solidify that roster. And I think the Capitals are another team that, you know, could be in the market for a defenseman as well. So there's going to be some competition for them. The question is, will Chuck be willing to outbid those teams for Ekholm or does he not put together a big enough package? Because, you know, you look at Ekholm, he's, he's on injured reserve, um, you know, if you look at it and say, well, he would, he would help, but how much would he help? And would he help enough for us to trade away, you know, a good chunk of future uh, to, to get him for a year uh, and hopefully the playoffs this year? So it's a tough question. I think the Flyers will be, you know, in the conversation if, in fact, Ekholm does become available. Um, but I, I'm not certain that they're the team that's going to put together the best potential deal. I mean, they have the assets to do it. So it's not that they conceptually couldn't put together the best offer. You just don't think that Chuck Fletcher is going to go all in to make that move happen. Well, that's what that sounds like. So I, it's so funny that I'm going to say this because I feel like a broken record 
for three and a half years. But um, if you give Nashville a good enough draft pick, like maybe a first rounder, can you get them to take Goss to contract? Um, you know, Goss to is a guy who's at least young enough that could be part of a rebuild there. I'm just asking, right? Or could be a guy that you leave exposed in the draft, in the expansion draft. You're going to then take money off the books and, and get some kind of a, a, you know, solid enough draft asset back. Well, that's I, I mean, like you're saying, you're, you're going to say to Nashville, listen, if you can take this money and keep us having cap flexibility, we'll give you a first round pick. Yeah. And maybe enough, maybe like a minor league player too. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not talking like any big time. You're not talking Morgan Frost. You're right. Right. You yeah. know, you throw, you throw a name in there as well. Jay O'Brien. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so let me, let me figure out if, if there's a way to say this nicely. At some point, this team, which I think we have seen has, has holes and has issues. And we'll get into those in a little bit. Uh, I think at some point the calculus has to be done by this front office uh, and a realization has to be had that this is an oddly constructed team in that the window for when some of the guys that you expect to be key contributors are going to hit that stride. And when the team's core hits their ultimate, you know, end of their prime, if they haven't already done so those timelines aren't going to line up. I mean, this might be the season. This uh, realistically, this might be the last year where that kind of set of parameters that we can have that confluence of all these things kind of coming together. And so, I guess I would just throw out that I think that at some point, Chuck Fletcher has to have the intestinal fortitude. Let's go WWF, the testicular fortitude. Somebody might just say he needs to nut up. He's got to have the chutzpah. He's got to have the balls to go out and make a, a deal. And to this point in his tenure as Flyers GM, he has not done that. And so this team, there is no point going forward with this current roster with the thought that you're going to contend for a Stanley Cup if you don't address the glaring hole that exists with Ivan Provorov, or at least in the top four. And if he doesn't make a move prior to the deadline, he is effectively condemning this team to death for this season. And that's not being hyperbolic. This team does not have the defensive core that you need in order to compete for a Stanley Cup. And if Ekholm is available and all it's going to cost you conceptually is a first-round pick and maybe a prospect that you don't necessarily want to part with, but you could solidify that top four and you can have that cascading effect down where that bottom pair isn't a flaming dumpster fire, you have to consider it. And like, you're probably doing organizational malpractice by not doing it. Okay, but let me just say this. Okay, and you know... Pierre Lebrun, like you, you buy into him as, as a legit, you know, national uh, hockey writer who's very well plugged in and, you know, knows what's going on, right? Sure. From The Athletic. Pierre's awesome. So he wrote a story for The Athletic and he said, you know, here's, here's his direct quote. My sense from talking to other teams is that no GM tried harder to land a top four defenseman in the offseason than Chuck Fletcher 
but the deal just wasn't there. Um, so, so the fact of the matter is, is Chuck has, is tr- has tried and will continue to try to get that defenseman. The Flyers would be better off if it was a right-hand defenseman, um, but they're not, also not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. Now, Anthony Mangione's point that you brought up earlier is a little bit of an issue for the Flyers because if you're only protecting three defensemen and you have to protect Provorov, Sanheim, Phil Myers, well then are you willing to give up a first round prick, a pick, a prospect you don't want to give up. And then, you know, gossip bear maybe um, for basically what could only be a half season or less of Ekholm because he would then be exposed to Seattle. Or do you then have to come up with either a, you know, a deal with Seattle where you say, ding, 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 ding. Don't ding, take this guy, but take this guy instead, and we'll give you X. Um, or, you know, do you work out another trade somewhere else? Otherwise, you're not going to get the full second year out of Eklund. So there's a lot to be played into this. And I'll tell you another thing to think about with that whole side deal with Seattle. If JVR... Uh, well, why am I talking about James Van Reems? Like we're talking about the fence. Here, here we go. But Anybody if, who read your piece this morning will uh, will know exactly where this is going. Well, if JVR continues on this pace and he ends up being a 70 point player or even more in a 56 game season, and he's your leading scorer and you're watching the way he's playing, not just offensively, but the way he's playing in his own end of the ice. And he's made every line he's played on better this season whether he's been on the third line, first line, second line, no matter where you put JVR, that line thrives. And it's because of the way he's playing. How, how do you just say, all right, that's it. One great season. We'll let him, we'll let him go to Seattle for nothing. Like, I don't see it. I, I just don't. I, I think it's, I think he's got his greatest value now. And maybe you see if you can get something for him in a trade, but if you're, if not, and you're going to bring him back, you're already going to probably have to have a side deal with Seattle about JVR. Now you're going to have two side deals with Seattle. I don't know if they'll, I don't know. Not unprecedented. Well, it's a lot. See, here's the problem. Like, here's the problem, right? That, oh, see, I don't want to stray too far away from this, but if, if we're going to go the JVR route, right, this comes back to the whole having to, to really figure out what you are as a team. And if that deal isn't available for a top four defenseman, the the case can very clearly be made that you try to sell high on JVR because I I don't know about you. I think it's great that he's, he's having an awesome season. I'm really happy for the guy because he, he was relegated to the bench in the playoffs multiple times as a healthy scratch. Uh, He rebounded. He's having a great start to the season. Uh, I don't know if this is a sustainable pace this season, I certainly don't know if it's a sustainable pace for the rest of that contract. I look at $7 million against the cap. And I think to myself, there are probably other ways that you could allocate that money. And if there is a deal out there to be made and you don't think you're going to be able to get a top four defenseman that can really solidify uh, your defensive core. Then at that point, I think you have to consider if there is a deal of value, but I don't know what that deal of value really is. Um, I think the problem that, this team is going to continue to have is again, you don't have a way where these timelines totally line up. The sad thing is that it's, 
it's all happening in a shortened season. Like I, I would have loved to have seen what this group could do over the course of an 82 game season where they can work out the kinks, where COVID wouldn't be an issue where you wouldn't have multiple guys going on the protocol list, where you wouldn't have to go out and field a lineup that has Sam Moran and Mark Friedman on wings in front of a national audience. I mean, I would have loved to have seen what this looks like. And I know that this probably sounds negative because I don't mean to bury the team. The team is still good. This, the team still has plenty of talent. And if they're able to be healthy from now till the end of the season, I think they're going to probably finish in the top two in the Eastern division. But we also have to be realistic about what their chances are. And if they run into this Boston squad that might improve at the trade deadline, it's a buzzsaw right now. And not only are they really good, not only are they outperforming what I expected. I I said before the season, I thought this was going to be the first year that we would see a dip in Boston because they lost Krug and Chara. I didn't think they'd be able to overcome that loss in the same year. And I've been very, very wrong. That perfection line is damn near close to perfection. They live up to the name. They live up to the mantra. And a big issue that this team has, the Flyers, is that they have Carter Hart's number. And it's not even close. And they have this team's number. And the Tahoe game is a really hard thing. It's a hard measuring stick to go by because it wasn't a full squad. And anybody who would try to sell the idea that 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 game is indicative of what a healthy Flyers team would do at a packed Wells Fargo Center in the postseason against Boston is selling it short. But there are are the same sort of issues that we've seen now through five games between these teams that indicate that there is a, a relatively significant gap between these teams. Am I wrong? Um, a little bit. Go ahead. So the one thing you got to give, you know, you look at the Flyers against Boston and three of the five games, Flyers, you get, they, well, they should have won. Yeah. They, were, they, were the, they were winning and, and lost the game. Um, but did they win? They didn't. But in each game, they were not completely at full capacity. Sure. So I sit there and say, Carter Hart gets his head on straight. You have a full roster. You can play with Boston. I mean, frig, the New Jersey Devils beat them twice last week, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's it's not like they're unbeatable. Um, the Flyers have just had a, a tough go of it against the Bruins so far this year. But I think if you have a full roster and everyone's healthy and you're getting good goaltending, you can play with the Bruins. That doesn't mean you're going to win a series against them. But can you? Sure. So I do I think that... Boston is the better team, probably, yeah. But that doesn't mean that they're far and away the better team and that they're, the Flyers have no chance against them. I, I think that the Flyers – I would love for a Flyers-Bruins series in the playoffs. I think it would be a really, really good series, to be honest with you. Eastern so Conference I, Final. That'd I'm be kinda, fine. Not, can't, can't be that. Oh, that's right, because of the uh... – yeah. The wonky rules with our realignment. Yeah, that'd be either no. first or first or second round. Um, not interested in that series, not at all. Well, like to be to be clear, I think it's a four-two series right now. I don't think it's a blowout. I don't think it's a. That's okay. I don't think it's four-one. Well, it isn't. It isn't. 
right? Like, again, if if this is supposed to be the the team, if this is supposed to be the timeline where you have a legitimate shot to make everything work, that's not okay. You need to do whatever you can to get that closer to be a seven game series or to have enough talent that you think you can you can go over the top. It shouldn't have to rely on seven different variables all going right for you to have a, a chance to win that series. And right now, until you're able to get Carter Hart back to the level of, of play that rational people, I think, expected of him going into this season, particularly against Boston, it's a problem. Um, right now, Brian Elliott might give them their best shot against Boston, which is a scary proposition if if you want to be real about it. The Carter Hart thing, I guess we'll we'll transition there now. Um, you know, you wrote in your your piece about Carter Hart being a, a guy who some people had lofty expectations for, unreasonably high expectations for going into the season, and that there are a few technique issues, there are a few angle issues that you discussed with a few people who you said are are effectively uh, maybe a little bit more up to snuff on goalie technique. Do you want to break it down for the people on the pod who might not have had a chance to dive into the article? Well, I mean, so what's happened? First of all, Carter's been inconsistent this year, but he's not been bad except for against Boston. Like he's been bad against the Bruins. He's really not played well at all against everyone else. eh, He's had his, he's had a lot of good moments. He's Mm -hmm. had a a goal here and there. You're like, "Ah, Carter, wish you could have that one back, but he's five, one and one against everybody. That's not Boston with a goals against of, I think it was 2.7 and save percentage of 919. I mean, it's, 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 you know, decent numbers. It's just that he's been obliterated by the Bruins. So what happens there when a team has got your number, the way the Bruins have for Carter Hart through four games this year, it, it's got to affect you no matter. I don't, I don't care how even keeled the kid is. Right. And you say, Oh, he never gets too high. Never gets too low. It doesn't matter. Like, it's got to sit there in the back of your mind that you struggle against this team. No matter what mm-hmm. you do, no matter how hard you try, this team finds a way to score goals against you. And so what, what, is, what is Carter Hart doing that the Bruins are taking advantage of? Well, subconsciously, the first thing that you do when you're giving up a lot of goals is you drift further deep into your net. And it's not a good thing for goalie, but it's not intentional. It's not like Carter's like, well, I've been giving up goals. I need to back up. It's just a natural reaction. And, and he doesn't even realize it sometimes that he's doing it because your, your, your body is saying, we need to protect this, this area. So the closer we get to this area, the better chance we have for protecting it. Not so. He needs to be more aggressive and challenge shooters a little bit more. The other thing that he's worried about is Boston, not just Boston, but other teams have tried a lot of backdoor plays against the Flyers, whether it's having somebody just sitting there on the back post ready for a a one-timer stuff in or to get a rebound or whatever the case might be, or if they get a little bit of a, a little bit of time and space, maybe like a mini break and have somebody streaking in, you make the pass, little tap in goal. Um, that's really hard for Hart to get to. So what he might be doing a little bit is cheating that play. And by doing that, he comes off of the short side post 
just a hair. Mm-hmm. In the NHL, you can't come off the post the hair. You might be able to get away with that at a lower level because the skill of the shooters is not as precise. But at this level, you give even a Charlie Coyle type player who's only got three goals this year, and two of them I think are against the Flyers. You can't even give him that two centimeters of room between your pad and the post because he's going to sneak that puck through there. And and the Bruins all night shot short side, shot high glove, and it's frustrating heart. So he really just needs a little bit of a a little bit of a reset. The Flyers have this week the one game against the Rangers and then the rest of the time off. Elaine Vigneault and his coaching staff would be smart. Just let Elliott start the Rangers game. Let Carter have the week. Let him clear his head. Let him work on a few things. Spend time with the goalie coach, Kim Delabaugh, and try and just try and get his game back where it needs to be. Because come March, you're basically playing every other day. There's not going to be practices. Um, there's going to be a split in time between the two of them. But a what? A what? Stop it. It's not going to be like 50-50. I mean, Hart's still going to get the majority of it. I never said it would be 50-50. I know, but you have to you have to split it. I mean, the game you there's do. too many there's too many games in too short period of time. I don't care who what goalie you have on your roster. They can't play all those games. Sure. You just can't. Even you can have um Vasilevsky who won the Vesna. You, you can't. He's not going to play every one of those games. It just isn't. Yeah. So, I mean, they, there has to be a split. So they're going to split time, but you're, they're still going to lean on Carter Hart more than they are on Brian Elliott. So he's got to get it right. And I think that this is the week for him to get it right. Um, my biggest issue with the whole Carter Hart thing is that the fans themselves set the bar too high. Oh, don't blame the fans, Anthony. You and the media, you no, and the no, media no. always want to blame the fans. I'm it's not, never the fans' fault. The fans didn't. The fans weren't the ones who wrote the things. They didn't write it. They just put it on Twitter, Anthony. It's not. Don't a, you dare go after the fans. It's not a blame. I don't. I don't. I don't want to blame them. I want to blame them for react. The only thing I want to blame them for is reacting to themselves, because they're not reacting to the player. I mean, Carter Hart's yeah. a, a decent. Right now, he's a good goalie. Um, who struggles against the Bruins. He's going to get better. He's 22. It, yeah. it, goalies take a little bit of time. He's going to be fine. But they fans had him as a Vezina Trophy candidate this year, which I thought from... Some fans. Let's let's be... True. I, I, I know what you're saying. Yes. Some I, fans I sh- do. I shouldn't... I shouldn't... And- I should and put those all fans in the same bucket. I, you're those right. are the same fans, by the way, not to interrupt you, but definitely to interrupt you. Those are the same people who make me want to smash my head into a wall. And I don't mean this to sound condescending in any way, but it will. So I guess I'll just roll with it. There are people right now who are fans of a team, right? And, and it happens in every sport and it happens, I'm sure, with every team in the country and around the world. But there are people who are so madly in love with the concept of liking and blindly supporting a player where they are incapable of seeing something being put out by somebody who either covers the team or is knowledgeable about the sport, who says there are issues here. 
and and is not committing character assassination against a player is not demeaning in any way the person's character that is not flamethrowing that the guy is a terrible athlete or a terrible player but the second that there's any kind of criticism whether it's constructive or it's just pointing out that there are a couple of issues there are these people who just i i don't totally understand it to me it is very childish but will just attack with full fervor because they can't bear the thought that this person that they have set unrealistic expectations for in the first place is not living up to those gaudy expectations. And that's what's happened here. And it happened, by the way, I saw plenty of people who were putting on Twitter, they were comparing Carter Hart and Carson Wentz. It's an unfair comparison. But if there's one thing that is a, a similar thread between the two, it's that there were blind loyalists who could not and would not see that there were issues and just refused under any circumstances to acknowledge that there could be any kind of a problem. And Carter Hart is young and he is going to continue to get better and he's going to continue to develop, but there are issues. And if you as a fan are incapable of opening your mind to a point where you can say, yeah, you know what? A lot of things are going wrong. Defense isn't great. The entire team defensive concept right now isn't great. The team is still missing six players that would be regular contributors to this, to this team. But he still had he still had two or three goals in that game that he should have had. If you're incapable of doing that because, you know, he's your baby boy, I'm sorry. But like that to me is an issue. And it's not to judge somebody's fandom, but like then just keep it to yourself. That's kind of where I'm at. Like, I want the kid to succeed. We all want him to succeed. We all want to see this team do well. We want to see this team do well long-term. It's in this organization's best interest to have Carter Hart perform at a high level. It's in this organization's best interest to have that position solidified. Nobody's rooting against him. But it's not unfair to say that there are a few things that he's doing wrong and to point those out as people who cover the team. Yeah, you're, you're, you're spot on with that. Um... I just what I was going with is that if you're going to elevate a player to a certain status based purely on your excitement for the team, your excitement for the player and you know your belief that one day this guy is going to be the goalie who's going to carry you to a Stanley Cup of course you want it to be this year and not five years from now. I get it. Mm -hmm. But at the first sign of struggle, and that's all it is, it's not like all of a sudden you have a failure as a goaltender. You have a goalie who's got a little bit of struggle at age 22. Big surprise. But at your first sign of struggle, you're going to suddenly say, he's not as good as I thought he was. He's just average. This is a disaster, blah, 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 blah. If you're going to go that route, then don't bother. Don't bother. Like, there is a process in every sport for a player to develop. Now, yes, some are very special and don't really need that long to develop. And they can become superstars at a very young age and very quickly. But there are others that need a little bit more time. Most goalies don't come into the league at age 20 and dominate. So Carter Hart's been good 
at ages 20, 21, and 22. He's not been great. That's okay. If you want him to be great, then you're going to have to be willing to accept some of these, you know, off nights, some of these mistakes. You just have to accept that because he's the kind of player who will learn from them and make himself a better goaltender. He's not going to sit there and just say, well, I'm going to keep doing the same thing and eventually I'll stop it. No, he'll adjust and he'll get better. And that's, that's only a good thing for the Flyers. But in the moment, I get it. You're a little frustrated, but it doesn't mean you have to completely turn on the guy. That's where I have an issue. And those, those are the people that drive me, drive me nuts on Twitter. And that's why I have to respond the way that I do. And that's the exact problem, right? Because you have these, you have these two groups on wildly opposite ends of the spectrum, and they're just lobbing grenades at each other. While the rest of the rational human beings in the room, I don't know how I could say there's rational on Twitter, but I do. The rest of the people are just watching this go back and forth and just want to mute it. They just want to turn it off. They want to tune it out. Both sides are a problem. But ultimately, I think everybody still wants the kid to succeed and they want their team to be good. It's also worth noting, you know, when when he first came up, we said, wait until teams get some film on him and see how he adjusts. If you think about like, look at his splits from this season, right? He's played Boston now four times. Yeah. The next the, the the only other team that he's played more than once so far this season is Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, who has certainly had some up and down moments, but he's been excellent against them. He's two and oh, a ninety two and a half percentage uh, save percentage at two point five one goals against other teams in the division. He's only played one time. He's been elite except for uh, against Buffalo. Buffalo was a was a bad moment for him. But realistically, Boston not only has the film on him, but they've they've been able to see him a lot so far this season. And if you find something to exploit, as you pointed out earlier, you're going to continue to exploit it until an adjustment is made. Unfortunately, it does not appear that at this point he's made the appropriate adjustments to what Boston is going to throw at him. But again, he's he's only 22 and there is a high likelihood that he gets it fixed and gets it fixed pretty quickly. All right. I wanted to to bring this up, though, because uh, I want to get into the fan reaction at this point, uh, especially to Hart himself. Uh, let me pull this up really quick. So. There it is. I asked people on Twitter, we put it out on our um, Twitter account and on Instagram and on Facebook. One of the questions that we asked was about fan concern for Carter Hart. A uh, one would represent no concern at all. And a five is an incredible amount of concern. And the only options, because we can only have four options on Twitter, were a one, a two, a three, and then a four or five. 26% of respondents said a one, not worried at all. 42%, the biggest percentage, said a two. So there's a little bit of concern, but not a lot. 23% gave it a three, and only 10% gave a four or a five. So we're talking about a vocal minority. Once again, a shock, right? Right. A total shock. Let's look at the the Instagram response to it. Oops, wrong one. Mobby. There we go. Uh, the Instagram response to this, 45 votes. I can only give two options. So it was either a one to three or a four to five. 45 respondents out of 55 
said a one to three. Only 10 people said a four to five. So yes, a vocal minority on two different platforms. Facebook was pretty much in line with these as well. Has this ridiculous concern for Carter Hart. You and I, we think he's going to be okay. Are we free? Are we able to say that there are issues? Indeed we are. All right. Carter Hart gets lit up in Lake Tahoe. Lake Tahoe is a place that the NHL was really excited to put games on. And it was picturesque and it was beautiful and it was everything that you would hope it would be, except for the hockey happening with the picturesque back, backdrop. And I know that uh, you and I, believe it or not, are at odds on this one. And so I don't know if we are. Odds. We I think are. That, I think I, that there are we, slight We are a bit. So give people your overall assessment. Do you feel like the NHL um, made a mistake by going out and trying to make this work in Tahoe? Do you think the infrastructure was uh, well set up and established in time? And do you think that ultimately this is being seen as anything but a failure by the league? And let me add one more question. Do you think they should look to do something like this again next year? So I'm going to start off by saying that this was an, a really smart idea conceptually by the NHL. Now, I know they're going to go back to stadiums. You're still going to have the Winter Classic. You're still going to have the stadium series. And that's all well and good, right? But the concept of doing an outdoor game in a non-traditional spot with the, like you said, the picturesque backgrounds where you can eventually bring in a small crowd. Um, I, I think it would be, I think it's, I think it's, it's really brilliant. And I know a couple of the other places that they've looked at, and I think that you're going to see it again down the road. Um, but they definitely have to learn from the mistakes that they made in Lake Tahoe because there were too many of them. The first mistake, and perhaps most important one, is they didn't do their homework. So when the NHL plans a winter classic or an outdoor game, they send their team in a year in advance to really study the potential setting, what, you know, wherever, whatever stadium they're going to be in, and identify where does the sun hit the most, right? At what time of day? Like, and, and really kind of just go out there and really figure it out, okay? Now, I don't want to make pretend that these outdoor games haven't had their share of delays in the past. I mean, the game that was here in Philly was delayed by a couple hours because of the sun, but only by a couple of hours. Um, and then, of course, there was the game that you and Kyle went to, which was delayed by rain mm -hmm. um, between the Flyers and the Penguins. So weather has wreaked havoc in the past. So I'm not going to criticize them for weather, but not for preparing for that weather. They knew there weren't going to be fans. So the whole MO of this outdoor game was presentation on national television. It was going to look beautiful on NBC. Okay. But they really rushed it. They didn't do the homework. And as a result, 
they got stuck with a game on Saturday that they started on time on national television and had to stop after one period and delay it for eight hours because of the sun. So now here's your sport on national TV suddenly saying, eh, well, can't finish the game. You're going to have to come back later. And for those of you in the Eastern time zone, go on to this network that we're going to get rid of in a few months that nobody's going to know exists anymore. And you're going to be able to rejoin us at midnight Eastern for this game. That's a, that's a mess. That's a total disaster. The Flyers game on Sunday originally was at three. They moved it to two because of weather-related things. Then they moved it again to 7.30, and it ultimately didn't start till eight, yep. all again because of weather. You can't move the games around like that. Again, they lost NBC. Again, the game was shifted to NBCSN. So you lost. Boy, I'm, I'm, I'm sure happy that we got to see a rerun of the weakest link and of the wall. <laughs> and we didn't preempt Dateline NBC. Yeah. So I mean, you, you can complain about NBC all you want and you're not wrong. <clears throat> but the NHL is the loser there. In, in essence, that's what it comes down to. <laughs> then you start the game at a time when the glare from the sun is so strong that the players can't even see. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you listen to Pasternak's interview after the game, he said that um, Marshawn couldn't see and said, I was just throwing, I wasn't shooting because I couldn't see the net. So I was passing the whole time. So Pasternak knew that and was able to be in position to take that pass, but the players couldn't see. Um, it was a bad glare on television at times, depending on the camera that was being used. So if you're watching from home, it was hard to see. And then you get into the, the night portion of the game. These games weren't originally scheduled for at night. So they didn't have lights, but they brought in these portable light fixtures that they put on one side of the rink. They couldn't put them on the other side because of the trees and the, and the grass that kind of rolls down into the beach. So they couldn't really do it on the other side. So you were lit from halfway, meaning the other half of the rink was dark where it wasn't being lit at, which was not a good thing. The players had no locker rooms. Oh, sure, they'll tell you they had a locker room. It was a hastily constructed tent about 50 yards from the rink um, and that's where the players changed and all, but that, <laughs> that wasn't a locker room for the players to go to. And then post game, they're doing interviews and rather than have a table set up with like a, <clears throat> excuse me, a step and repeat banner. The NHL did such a bad behind job it. that it's, it's making your COVID act up. Uh, it's crazy. Um, they had these poor players and coaches standing out in the cold. Now, at this hour, it's really cold there. The wind is kicking up. And they're trying and struggling like mad to hear questions that we're asking on a Zoom. And then they have to stand out in the middle of the, this cold weather and try and answer. I mean, some of the players were just like, 
they wanted to go. They were so cold. I mean, Pasternak's interview was a classic all the way through, but he kept saying, guys, I'm freezing. I'm freezing. But then for us, the big story is Carter Hart. We get to Carter Hart. His headset doesn't work. So we could see that he's answering questions, but we can't hear him. Not only does the league not transcribe the answers, but they say, they say to us, hold on. And then after 30 seconds go, sorry about the difficulties. This ends the press availability. So we didn't even get to talk to him. So the NHL basically just said, we've had enough. We've had more problems than we can ever imagine. We're out. We're, we're quitting. It was one mistake after another after another. And all of these things would have been alleviated if they would have just said, it's a COVID year. Fans will understand why we don't have an outdoor game. Let's do this at Lake Tahoe in the 21-22 season. Let's plan it out a year in advance. Let's make sure we have everything set up that we need and really make this a cool experience. And as it turned out, it was anything but. That's, that's, my, that's my beef with the whole thing. I think it's wonderful. I think it's a great idea. I think it should happen more frequently and more frequently than stadium games, okay? But you can't, you can't rush it. You know, it's like I think about it, you know me, I do theater. I think of it as I have to cast a show, rehearse the entire show, and then put it on for an audience in a week, right? You can't do it. I mean, you can, pro- you can do it, but there's going to be all kinds of screw-ups and mess-ups and mistakes mm-hmm. rather than having your normal, you know, rehearsal period to, to get a show up and running. It's the same thing. They needed a little bit – they needed more time, and they didn't afford themselves – that time that's on the league. So I think it's in a sense, there's a a bit of a cluster bleep in this, right? I don't think the NHL can get away with, with all of this at the same time. I don't think that it was an abject failure for a few reasons. One, even though it was a disaster in terms of the exposure on NBC, the, the job that this is where having Mike Tirico on that game is critical. Absolutely critical. And we talked about Mike Tirico um, on one of the previous national games that the Flyers had, had factored into. His ability to riff, his ability to continue to make somewhat engaging TV while the NHL behind the scenes was in a mad dash and a mad scramble was masterful work by somebody who's been working in this profession for quite some time. It's also in a fun way, um, sort of fitting that the place that the, the network that has the Olympics would also have the ability to capture scenic picturesque views and riff on things while there's nothing happening for casual fans or for people who otherwise would not have tuned into the game, even though the game only saw a period, the Saturday game, not the Flyers game. I think that you have gotten exposure and some much needed exposure on the league and sure the, the game, the Saturday game getting postponed until midnight was a disaster. I mean, there, there is no getting around that. I think they would have been much better served to wait and to try to make a double header of some sort work on Sunday with an early morning start. And I don't know if the sun would have been as much of an issue at that at that point in the day, maybe it would have, maybe it would have been an untenable situation. 
But I think that by saying, hey, guys, come back at midnight, I just think is it that to me is the biggest miss of the entire weekend. I said that uh, I said on Twitter that the idea that the Flyers game uh, got relegated to NBCSN was a, a catastrophe. And that that part, to some extent, still holds true. I think that the way that the. I think that the way that NBC handled it is pretty much all the proof you need that they do not intend on having the exclusive rights to the NHL next year. I think that the signals have been there for a while that ESPN is going to get in probably on a partial bid, not an exclusive bid. We've been talking about it for a year. I think it's going to happen. The fact that NBC was unwilling to make the move to have the game show up on Sunday night on the mothership station and potentially push back Dateline NBC an hour is indicative of a network that just does not value the product as much as they should be in a contract year. And I think that, you know, from my perspective, I would like to see there be a joint bid. I have no problem with NBC and ESPN sharing the rights going forward. But if you were making this a priority, if you were going on a full court, full ice press here to get the NHL to buy into USA Network, streaming uh, games on Peacock, and having, or, you know, having games played on the mothership in an exclusive uh, rights deal, you blew it if you're NBC. I think for the NHL overall, this isn't a bad thing. They will certainly learn from it. There were not fans who were negatively impacted, who had made the, the trek across country to go support this. So I think if there were a year to be experimental, if there were a year to try to do a pop-up event where you might not have done as much of the homework as you probably should have, or you would have in any other year, I think this is the year to let it fail. And if it did, and if you view it as a failure, I think it's fine. I do think that it opens the possibility and it certainly gives you enough to learn, uh, you know, from that going forward there to me is no reason that we shouldn't see one or two of these outdoor non-stadium games in remote parts of Canada where it is very cold for large uh, times of the year. Like there to me is no reason that you couldn't do this. The, the idea, uh, let me throw out a really crazy one. You know, the, the NHL had this Euro trip to start last year, right? Can you imagine setting up a rink with the Alps in the background? Imagine how cool that would be. Like if, if the idea here is to make this game stand out in stark contrast to basketball that they're going up against at the same time of year, football as it's winding down prior to baseball, going outside and capturing the imaginations of people in ballparks across the country. This is the thing that you have that stands as really the crown jewel of, of what your product has to offer. All right. This one didn't work out. It didn't go perfectly to plan. And there are things that you can learn from, but to me, I'd like to see them roll this out every year. I don't take, disagree. Take, I don't disagree it, with you. Take it all around the world and make it a thing. And I know the teams probably won't be thrilled because the revenue, the gate revenue won't be there. You're going to ask a team to give up home revenue. You're going to have to figure out a way to offset that financial cost. But you know what? I think it was cool. And I, I, I was, I disappointed that, the Flyers game wasn't on the mothership station. Am I disappointed that we didn't get to see the beautiful picturesque backdrop? Yes, it's a bummer. 
but I'm okay with a little bit of struggle. Frederick Douglass once said, without struggle, there is no progress. Listen, Lake Tahoe was a struggle, but I believe in the NHL's progress. Thank you. I have solved so many issues in our nation. You're welcome. I, and I, you know what? I should, I apologize to, the, to our listeners because I let you go on on that rant mm-hmm. just a little bit too long. Like no, it, was a, making, it was a lot were, too long. You were making sense. It was good stuff. So that's why I kind of, I was like, okay, this is fine. Mm-hmm. And then as is usual, mm-hmm. you don't have a close. You're, you're good at talking and, and, you know, rambling and, you know, I mean, it's, it's good. I mean, it's, it's, you can, you can circle back to your point and, and bring in new things and it's, it's a good skill to have, but you don't know how to close it. That's when you need to tag in. You didn't tag in. And I didn't. So you watched me drown. I take responsibility. And I was Jack. You had the opportunity to move over on the door a little bit and let me pull myself up. Yep. And instead, you let me turn into an icicle and fall to the bottom of the ocean. Yeah, and then this you, is on you. Yeah, and it's that's, on you. And I, I do it too many times. I got I got to learn to interrupt you more. Yes, you do. Yeah, I, I do. really do. All right, and, but no, but you're not. I mean, right. I, final point on that is, I agree. I think it's a great concept. I just think that the league got greedy and rushed it. They didn't need to do it this year. They didn't. Need I to think do that it, it was see, but I, I think it was worth it. No, because if, if nothing else, they learned the lesson that they can't go into a situation with as little preparation as they did. They should but know because, that. But listen, but because it doesn't, but it did not, it did not adversely affect any fans who would have traveled. You did not inconvenience anyone aside from the TV crew. Sure, your players, the coaches, the TV, the TV crews that had to work it. You inconvenienced them. Fans as a whole, imagine if you had tens of thousands of people who were out there to go see that game and you said, hey, guys, come back in eight hours. That's that is a PR disaster. This was a little bit more than a hiccup, but it wasn't a total full blown dumpster fire. I disagree. I think it's all optics. But that's me. Okay. All right. Now it is time, my friend. It's been too long since we've done it. And I hope you're ready here. I thought I thought we were nearing the end of the show. What? Why would you think that? Because we've been talking for an hour at this point. I thought we were kind of wrapping it up and you're going to trot this damn thing out again. Go ahead, buddy. Here we go. You know what time it is. It's time for. Oh, yes. Know the goalie. Aunt San COVID and San Rona. You know, I gave you time. I gave you time to uh, to get away, to recoup, to lick your wounds, to use a nebulizer, and now it is time for Know the Goalie, everyone's favorite segment on the show. Of course, I'm going to hit you with some random goalie trivia. All you have to do is come up with the right answer. You are not doing so well on the season. I believe you've only gotten one of these right. I'm not even going with the hard one. This is something that you might actually know. Maybe. I want to know who's the goalie who has scored the most points in a single game. and How many points did he score? Um, yeah. You want some clues? I have clues for you. Yeah. All right. Give me a clue. 
All right. Um, this player, or this this came in a uh, a win by the Calgary Flames. I can give you the decade. Um, well, let me try and guess first before you give me another clue. Mm-hmm. Mike Vernon. No. Okay. This this game happened in February of 1993. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> um, 93. Well, if, if Vernon wasn't the goalie with them then, who the hell was? Um, I like watching the, I wish we put the video of this show up. We should start putting the video on YouTube, watching your screen, watching your screen through your glasses. Go ahead. All right. I'll, I'll help you out a little bit. The guy's first name is the same first name as the last legitimate sniper. The flyers have had. His first name, yeah, is the same as a last name. No, as the as the first name of the last legitimate sniper the Flyers have had. Oh Who's God. the last sniper the Flyers had? They traded him away. Um. Well, I mean, if you want my honest opinion, I would tell you it's no. it's it goes it, it's last legit sniper. Okay, then don't go to the last legit. Go to like the last quasi-legit sniper. Who's the last guy that could light the lamp, that could pick his spot? Go about 10 years ago. (laughs) Really? Come on, man. I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed in you. All right, this guy's last name. This guy's last name is very close to one of uh, probably your favorite, my favorite, and everyone's favorite chocolate candies. M&M's? No. <laughs> it's got peanut butter in it. Jeff Reese? Jeff Reese! There it is. Jeff Reese. Jeff Reese, right, who so, was a Flyers goalie coach. So get this. I know so, really well. Like I know he had all those points in a game. Do you know how many points he had in that game? No. <laughs> he had three points in a game. So let me break it down for you. Jeff Reese... February 1993, Calgary Flames absolutely demolish the San Jose Sharks 13 to 1. Reese earned three points in that game, three assists. That's it. Three assists. Those three points were enough to give him the most points ever scored by a goalie in a single game. You are welcome. Wow. How about that? So I'm guessing you were going with Jeff Carter as the Yeah, I was going with Jeff Carter. Yeah. Okay. All right. I mean, who, who, Fair has, who, yeah, I mean, right. Am yeah. I missing somebody? Did I miss some kind of elusive sniper that the flyers have had since then? No, it's fine. That's all right. That yeah. works. Who is going to be your, uh, less legitimate sniper? LeClaire. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's fair. That's yeah, a different was, level. Yeah. yeah. I mean, okay. Yeah. Not Patrick Line. <laughs> Not Patrick Line. By the way, somebody, I still somebody can't did. Believe- I can't believe Reeser has the record for most points in a game by a goalie. There you go. Add the ER on the end. It makes it sound like you're really your buddy, buddy. You need to get in touch with him and find out. I should. Out. I should reach out to him. You should. You yeah. should. He was, a, he was Flyers goalie coach. I think he's in Dallas right now. Mm-hmm. He's the Stars goalie coach. 
I brought up Patrick Laine. There were a couple of questions that I wanted to get to here real quick before we head out. Uh, one of our friends who checks in all the time on uh, Press Row Show, Virevox, says, um, do you guys feel like the team would or should, in your opinion, make a big move for a star offensive name to put with some of our existing talent to make us more of an offensive threat, especially on the power play, thinking like Line or Eichel due to circumstance? And then he continues, given the current state of the team, the expansion draft looming and new deals for Sanheim and Carter coming, Coots and G's contracts expiring at the same time. What do you guys think this team will look like in two to three years? And what do you think it should look like? So I guess start with the first thing. Do, should the Flyers make a big move that makes them more of an offensive-minded team? No. They need they need help on the defensive end. And they need and they need to be a little bit more um, heavy. I think those are the two moves more than anything else. They need a, a top four defenseman and they need a little bit of a little bit of size because they get pushed around a little bit too much. I think there's enough scoring on this team. I mean, they still, for as few shots on goal as the Flyers get, and they're 31st in the league, they still average three and a half goals a game. Yep. I, so they obviously are opportunistic enough to score from, you know, high percentage areas um, and get there. So, uh, you know, I think there's enough talent on the team that you're not going to have anybody who's going to run away with a scoring title, but you're going to have enough balance through the lineup of guys who can score. So I, I don't see the need. I mean, would it be nice to have a player of that ilk? Sure. But I think it's a luxury item for this team right now. I think right now their biggest needs are an, a, another defenseman and a little bit of size. I think that you have to address those before you address more scoring. So I'm going to bring up these uh, questions from Sean Moore over on Twitter because he sent these to us and didn't know that we were doing an episode today, but he must have had some kind of like kismic connection to us or something that just he knew he knew and he sent these over. So he said um, an uncomfortable question that a lot of people just ignore. At what point will coaches clean up Provy's odd man rush defense? It's been my biggest issue with him since he entered the league. Um, worse than con uh, consistently retreating at both blue lines and or robotic uh, power play quarterbacking and fumbling through multiple staffs. It's never improved. He refuses to attack the puck carrier or, or take away the pass or pass receiver. Gudis was great at that going on one knee stick on ice, slowly approaching the puck carrier. Can no one identify and address this flaw? I, it's real. you know, first of all, it's a really specific question. Um, and without really, concentrating on it it's hard to sit here and say yeah i agree or no you're completely wrong so um I, I will say this coaches see everything they see everything there's not there's not something that just that's happening in a game and they miss it like they oh no, no. they watched the video of that game immediately after the game on the uh, as soon as they get home they're watching it. The next day, they're teaching off of the video in the in the classroom uh, at the practice facility. They are seeing everything in the game. If it's something that is a major concern for the team, they will attempt to address it. If it's something that is not as big a concern, they may talk about it. They may have like a little conversation about it, but they're not going to dwell on it 
Okay. So if, if they don't think that it's hurting them, that Provorov plays odd man rushes the way that he does, then it's probably going to continue that way um, because they don't, they don't identify it as a major concern. Um, and I can tell you with this coaching staff, which is all about accountability, they would not let him get away with it if, in fact, they were trying to tell him to do something different. Um, every defenseman kind of handles that thing a little differently. Some guys, you know, go down to block the shot. Um, some guys take the passer and leave the shooter to the goalie. Some guys try and get a stick, you know, active stick, get stick on puck or stick on stick. You know, if they think the guy's going to shoot, try and deflect the shot. So everybody, everybody tries a little bit differently. Um, and some guys are, are of course more uh, successful than others, um, but they must be okay with, with Provorov's efforts there. The thing about Provorov that I don't understand is how I don't, like, I think his biggest weakness actually comes in the offensive end when he's at the point. He does not catch passes back to the point yes. really cleanly. Yep. That's the thing that bothers me a little bit about him. I wish that he caught those passes cleaner because he can move. He can, he can, you know, keep the offense moving. Um, you obviously want to try and make, you know, a few nice passes to try and create lanes or to get the defense out of position. And I feel that too many times that puck blows up on his stick, not to say that it gets past him all the time, although it does get past him. Um, yeah, but sometimes he just doesn't catch it clean and he's got to settle it down and restart all over again. And I think that kind of totally kills the, uh, yeah, a little bit of momentum. The, yep. So to me, that's his biggest flaw. I, I like the way he plays defense, you know? Yeah. He turns the puck over, but who doesn't, right? Everybody turns the puck over. Um, but to me, his, his biggest flaw is his, his fluidity at the point on offense. Okay. That speaking of not knowing how to finish that, that was just a, uh, okay. Um, one last one. So at, um, Adam Graff brings up another, at least name. I didn't try and do an impersonation. I didn't try to do an impersonation. <laughs> I just quoted one of the greatest Americans in American history. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I was trying to educate people on something that Frederick Douglass said. I'm sorry. When, when did that make me a villain? Uh, Adam Graff, on Twitter says, can we change the poll? This is about Ekholm, which I feel like it's sometimes worth going full circle. Um, he says, can we talk about Victor um, Arvidsson, who's got a 4.2 million cap hit and is maybe somebody that the team could look at? Do you have any thoughts on on him as a target? Um, I don't. Uh, um, again, not knowing that this question was coming. Um I, the only thing I can say is, I mean, again, he's he's talking Nashville, and of course, you know, Nashville is a team that we're already talking about um, trying to, you know, rebuild and recognizing that they need to rebuild. Um, but again, Arvidsson's a pricey, and when I say pricey, pricey for what the Flyers need um, yeah. forward. So, like, he signed. This year and three more years at four point two five million, um, he's a versatile winger. Um, he's got you know good skill. 
Um, but again, I think this is not their biggest need at this point. It's just not like the flyers need to address other things first and they have limited cap room. So unless you're finding a way to shed a bunch of salary, I don't, I don't know how you could fit that in to your roster and not, and at the same time address the other needs as well. I just, I just don't see it. I, I, plus he signed too long. I mean, I, three more years. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if he's that worth it to make that kind of investment um, and, and, or whether Nashville would even want to move him for that matter. So, so there you go. All right. There you go. All right, cool. Look at that. Look at us. Hey, I don't know how long this was hour, hour and a half. Does it matter? We didn't do a show last week. So here we are. We put one out. Hope people enjoyed it. Um, I'm assuming that we probably had a few people tune out about mm, 20 minutes in when we happen to bring up uh, Carter Hart. And uh, we'll see. I'm actually going to be excited. I, I don't know. Do we put a really uh, a clickbaity kind of headline? Do we give this a, a really uh, um, horribly flamethrower-esque title for this episode? I don't know. Probably not. Because Tahoe, we are fair and bad. Tahoe, are- no. <laughs> Nah, I don't know. We'll come up with something. We'll we'll think of it. We'll think of something. Um, in the meantime, make sure you follow us over on Twitter at Aunt San Philly. You're not going to do the. You're not going to do the uh, five stars. Oh, I forgot about the five stars. We have we have a real controversy here at Snow the Goalie. All right. First of all, let me get to a, a new five star review we have here from JD Kint's grandma. Five stars, titled "Grandma's iPad Garbage Time Stat." here's here's the review i am on my grandma's ipad five stars we know that this has to be justin kent who checks in a lot on the press row show and all i can say is i want more people to be like justin first of all justin is the person who initially told anthony he needs to get his daughter a car still valid justin has taken to heart my long-held belief and my long-held uh um call to action to people who listen to the show that they need to commandeer one of their iPhones or a a family iPad or a computer of a grandparent or of a parent or an aunt or an uncle or an estranged friend and leave a five-star review. And Justin did it. He did it here on his grandma's iPad. So to that, we say, thank you. J.D. Kent's Thanks, grandma. Justin. Also, want to point out the fact, I'm pretty sure that he can't change that name going forward. So if his grandma, who we're going to name Dolores for our purposes, decides that she wants to start leaving reviews on like old lady podcasts, it's all going to show up as J.D. Kent's grandma. <laughs> so I, I'm going to tell you something, Anthony. I'm going to see if I can. I'm pretty sure I can find this. I want to see if he's left any other reviews for anything else as JD Ken's grandma, because now I'm genuinely, I'm all in on this. I know you used to be able to do this. I don't know if you can anymore. You used to be able to like actually click on somebody's name and go back through and, and see what their review history was. I'll get there. Um, do you want to let people in on the, uh, the secret, the, the issue that is at hand, the, the uh, controversy that we could be facing here with uh, podcast reviews? You insist it's a controversy. Um, it is. 100% it's a controversy. I tell you that 
Um, we'll see if it, it could be a controversy. So Lee C gives us a five-star review pretty much every episode. I mean, yes. he, may, he may have missed one or two, but I think a five-star review every episode. I've mm-hmm. uh, adorned the, the Lee C five-star review. Don't forget, um, Lisey, you can also send us an email, snowthegoalie at gmail.com. We'll also be happy to, to field any questions, comments, or concerns you have there as well. Okay. Continue. So this uh, the most recent episode we recorded had a review, um, and I, to be honest with you, I did not recognize the name, um, which is loved it, but now it's buggy, but you recognized it and found that this is the second review that we've had now, not an every episode type of review. Like this, yes. this person is not leaving one every episode, but mm-hmm. has decided to leave a second review. So now yes. you think that loved it, but now it's buggy is going to is going after Lee C for yes. the title of most five star reviews for Snow the Goalie. Yes, just because it's a second review. Yes, I think that. I think that loved it, but now it's buggy is totally entitled to leaving as many uh, reviews as uh, loved it, but now it's buggy wants to leave. But I don't know if there's a request here for a new segment. Have to reach out and let us know, but we'll read it. Always smile. When I see a new snow, the goalie episode, this emergency episode was fantastic. Anthony and Russ to uh, cover all the flyers topics. We're all thinking about. I kept yelling at my phone. Yeah, exactly. Too, too bad. The guys didn't respond. Great podcast. Always a fun listen. I don't know. Well, thanks. thanks. Loved it. I don't know. I don't know. Do we have a podcast review war? Can we make this a crossing broad post podcast review wars? Man, the clicks that'll get right. By the way, did you find out if uh, J.D. Kent's grandma has left any other reviews? Apple Podcasts is not allowing me to click on the username to go back in and look at their review history. I'm going to try to pull it up on an iPad. We'll see. I'll, I'll, I'll do that for next episode. Okay. Okay. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. I don't know. I just, I love the idea that Justin has now given his grandma's account a name. And that if she starts reviewing like books, like what happens if, if Justin's grandma wants to start reviewing like romance novels, there's no pseudonym. Like now he is stuck forever. His name is attached to it. So I hope Dolores, as we've named her decides to go off and just take all kinds of, you know, those books. The ones with like the the man whose abs are out on the cover. I want her to start leaving reviews that Justin's name is plastered on every one of those reviews. I do have one final question for you. Oh, boy. So next Flyers game is Wednesday. Yes. uh, At home against the Rangers. Yes. Will you be present? And the reason I'm asking is because it will be my first game back uh, in person. Uh, since my uh, COVID scare. And if, in fact, you're going, eh, we just might be able to do a press row show. Ah, pretty, 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 pretty good chance. Okay. Pretty good. Pretty good. Just check it. I will say that I think my, my plan, I believe, is to be down there, which means press row show that we'll have to do distance. Um, That's all right. 
We'll have to do it on the Wi-Fi, which hopefully it will uh, it'll work. We'll have to do it through masks. But as Bill O'Reilly once said, what, what did Bill O'Reilly once say? <laughs> Since you knocked yourself off, yeah, my mic cut out. Can you still hear me? <laughs> <laughs> He said we'll do it. Not as well, but yes. I got the wire of my mic. Oh, the quality on my audio just dropped the tongue. We'll do it live. That's what I get for mentioning Bill O'Reilly on this podcast. All right. And with that, it's time that we wrap up our episode. Thank you so much for listening. Follow Anthony on Twitter at Philly. Follow me on Twitter at JoyOnBroad. Of course, the show on Twitter and Instagram at SnowTheGoalie. You can find us on Facebook.com slash SnowTheGoalie. Do us a favor, leave a five-star review. Don't forget, the show is now not only available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Stitcher, but we're also available now on Amazon Music, which means that you have the ability at this point, if you have a smart device in your home anywhere, all right? If you have an Apple device, you can ask Siri to play the newest episode of Snow the Goalie. If you have uh, a Google Home that you want to use, you can certainly go on and you can ask Google to play the newest episode of Snow the Goalie. And now if you have any kind of an, Alexa-enabled device, you can ask Alexa to play the most recent episode of Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast. How about that? You just have to ask, you just have to say to Alexa, play Snow the Goalie, a Flyers podcast. No, you don't. Alexa, you Alexa gets it. Alexa gets it. She Are you doesn't. sure? She doesn't. She, says she needs yeah, to know a Flyers yesterday. podcast. Really? Yeah, I did it yesterday. Yeah. I did it the other day with my daughter. I was a little, dis- I was a little disappointed. Alexa, you gotta learn weird music. I'll tell Alexa you, Alexa was playing some strange music. Google devices do it great. If you hold on, here we go. You ready? We're gonna test it right now on the pod. Hey Google, play "Snow the Goalie." You ready? Boom, Anthony. What's on the screen? It's the it's the podcast. It's the podcast. It's playing. I just have the audio is turned down. Down. There it is. See? Yeah. There you go. Maybe the smartest thing to do. Two times speed. Oh, on, on two times speed. Yeah, it's totally fine. It's nothing it's I want to listen horrible. to more than Wait, than you. There's the gong. On two times Remember speed. the gong? We had the gong and welcome back, Cotter. That happened on our that was two episodes ago. Yes, it did. All right. There yes. you go. So got a smart device. Snow the goalie. Listen to it. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. If you listen to the end of this, you win a reward. I don't know what that reward is, but we're going we're gonna to hold Anthony's feet to the fire. He's going to give you a reward. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. Unless, heck, maybe there's going to be some kind of news. Don't forget, Wednesday, Press Row Show, available over on Twitter, on the Crossing Broad feed, on at SnowTheGoalie as well. And then over on Facebook.com uh, slash Crossing Broad and Facebook.com slash SnowTheGoalie. For Ant, I'm Russ. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.